Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Yeah, thanks for joining us here on AOA today, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you along for a conversation about issues impacting rural America. We got a lot to get to here today. I know uh, many folks are asking, is it going to uh, finally warm up? We've been dealing with this bitter cold for some time now. Teresa Wells with DTN, meteorologist, going to join us, give it up in segment two and give us an idea of if things are going to warm up or not. I know we're seeing some ice potential from Texas to Illinois early in the week, so I know we're going to talk about all that and more coming up in segment two. In segment three, after the bottom of the hour today, we're going to have a conversation with Kurt Covington from Ag America. They have a new report out looking at the 2024 year ahead for the ag economy and ag lending and more. So we're going to dive into that and have a discussion with Kurt coming up here a little bit later on in the show. And then we'll take a look at news headlines in segment four, including some headlines surrounding the fertilizer industry, some of the outlooks for the year ahead, and some groups calling for various court challenges to certain issues in the fertilizer industry. We're going to talk about all that and more coming up here in segment four today. Let's kick things off, though, and take a look at what is moving in the markets early here in the week. Joining us now for a conversation, Bar Chart Senior Market Analyst Darren Newsom is with us. Darren, good to talk with you. Hope you had a uh, great weekend, Darren. Oh, we did, Jesse. It was quiet. I uh, appreciate you having me on again. Uh, you know, as you said, uh, we'll, we'll all be we'll all be looking forward to Teresa's forecast to see, you know, if we're going to finally break out of this quote unquote polar vortex or whatever it is that mm-hmm. has bought some bro- bone chilling temperatures across the plains and Midwest. Yeah, and I know some folks are going to get above freezing here early this week and even warmer than that. uh, It sounds like we're going to get Teresa's details coming up here in just (laughs) a little bit. Uh, You know, uh, kind of you mentioned a quiet weekend for you. Markets kind of quiet early in the week. Not Mm -hmm. much movement either side of unchanged here in this grain trade, it looks like, to start off the week, Darren. Yeah, we still have the, you know, the normal winter doldrums going on here, particularly in the corn market, if we start with that. Uh, you know, overnight, I think it posted, I think March posted like one and three quarter cent trading range and then popped a little bit. Uh, you know, so again, there's just, there's not much to get excited about. And as I've written for bar chart a couple of different times now, you know, the most bullish factor that corn, soybeans, and even Chicago wheat uh, to a lesser degree have at this time is the non-commercial net short futures position. Uh, you know, in last Friday's CFTC report, and again, I like I look at legacy futures only. It's really the only one I need. We saw that you know funds increased their net short in corn to two hundred nineteen thousand, uh, just almost two hundred twenty thousand contracts, which was just short of the all time uh, rec- record of two hundred thirty five thousand uh, net short. So, you know, since since last Tuesday, you know, Wednesday and Thursday, we saw a little bit of buying coming back into the market. So. Uh, you know, the most bullish factor here could be some short covering because there really isn't mm-hmm. any isn't any real purpose right now for funds, at least not that it looks like to drive this thing to a new to a new record large net short futures position. And we can make the same argument. So it means I mean, if we look at future spreads in beans, uh, they're still bullish, uh, you know, particularly the deferred May, July. So, I mean, there it's been fascinating to watch as funds continue to pile in and with with uh, stock markets going to new all time highs. 
you can't help but think that's going to be a draw for some of this investment money and they're going to get out of commodities. And if so, that could lift, you know, where the, those markets where they're holding large net shorts, that could certainly lift the markets. Yeah, that's a great point you make. And I noticed we saw stocks hit all time highs uh, to end last week <laughs> and it, just watching this money flow and it, to what you said, it, you, you already answered my next what my next question was going to be Darren, but let's expand upon it a little bit more you know a lot of uh, funds are short here mm -hmm. in these grain markets and they really just don't have much incentive to take off that short position right now and for a lot of farmers across the countryside looking at you know cash prices and basis and the futures board mm -hmm. i mean they're just not loving the numbers they're seeing right now but i don't see any realistic change to these markets in the short term? No, there really isn't. And I mean, one of the things I like to do is, is I like to take the cash index and I can do it anytime, not just into the month, but, and, and, you know, correlate that out to available stocks use. And this isn't the ending stocks use that everyone, you, that everyone comes up with using uh, USDA's make-believe numbers. This is actual up to the minute available stocks use based on cash price. And what we see is exactly what you just said. There is no push right now. I mean, we've got uh, corn was at 12 and a half percent. And that was the largest number since I think, what, uh, November 2020 soybeans. Uh, the, it's, it's available stocks to use climbed over 10 percent uh, late last week for dropping off a little bit, just ever so slightly heading into the weekend. So, you know, the bottom line fundamentals of corn, soybeans, wheat, you know, whichever wheat class we want to look at is we have plenty of supplies to meet demand. Yes, we've seen an uptick in demand for corn this year, but we've got more supplies. And so the net, again, the bottom line is it's a more bearish situation. So funds aren't in any hurry to cover their short, but that, you know, those, those stocks going to new all-time highs certainly has to be an attractive draw. And again, no real fundamental reason to, to continue to hold uh, positions in, in, in a lot of commodities. Should producers at this juncture, I'd have to think, they just have to be smart when they're looking at their marketing plan and and figuring out all the different tools in the toolbox, so to speak, mm -hmm. as they look at what they're doing in grains or, or not doing in mm -hmm. grains in their marketing right now, Darren. Yeah. Every time someone mentions marketing plans, I can't help but think of what Mike Tyson said about, about a plan. And, you know, everybody has one until they get punched in the face. And I think we can look at, I think we can look at the grain markets and see that, you know, from a, from a, you know, though, ever, since everyone wants to be bullish, they've certainly been punched in the face uh, with the way the markets are acting. Now, again, that being said, is there a chance that we could see some sort of late winter rally. Absolutely. Again, we're, we're looking at near record large uh, net short positions in corn and soybeans. Again, not so much in wheat, but just for no other reason, no fundamental change, no this, no that, no whatever the headlines might be. But just for the sheer fact of some short covering due to you know investment opportunities, uh, we could see these markets rally. So when we see the rallies, don't all of a sudden get all bulled up unless we see something going on in basis or spreads, everything you mentioned, uh, but certainly use just a, a fund short covering to our advantage. If we need to get some 2023 sold, do it. If we need to get some 2024 on the books at a relatively high price, still go ahead and do it. Uh, because we, you know, I, I, I listened to the itinerary for what's coming up. Everybody's making 2024 outlooks. It's a very hard thing to do. Best thing to do is use the market to your advantage. And when it gives you an opportunity, take it. Darren, livestock, uh, real quick, kind of start mixed to lower in cattle and hogs uh, for the week. And I know mm -hmm. that cattle on feed report, 
up 2% for on feed, but all those numbers pretty much as expected. Any notes in the livestock trade for us? Yeah, I didn't really pay much attention to the on feed because, again, it's three to eight weeks outdated. The numbers are three to eight weeks outdated upon release. But we, we saw it all in, Fred, in spreads and, and basis when it was happening. Uh, and that's probably my biggest concern right now is that both cattle markets are overbought. Uh, hogs can't get anything going. And if the weather's going to start to clear a little bit, that could put a little bit of pressure on the market, bring a little bit of selling into the livestock sector. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. Always appreciate the insights and your thoughts. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks so much, Jesse. And again, Darren Newsom there with Bar Chart joining us today on the show. Coming up next, we're going to take a dive into the weather forecast for the week ahead. Are things set to warm up or not? How long could warmer temperatures stick around? Teresa Wells with DTN joins us next on AOA. Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention on Friday, February 2nd. Stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org 
to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, I think a lot of folks across the country are wondering if we are going to see a warm-up anytime soon. We've been freezing under this polar vortex uh, across really the entire country almost here for the last uh, week or so. And I, I know I, for one, am, am wondering if I can put some of the uh, extremely uh, warm gear away for the time being and uh be back to some normalcy with temperatures at least here. Well, we're going to talk about that and get an update on the weather for the week ahead. Joining us for a conversation, Teresa Wells, DTN meteorologist, is with us. Teresa, thanks for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jesse. Well, let's start with the temperatures uh, before we dive into some other weather features we're watching this week. So, Teresa, are we going to see a meaningful warm-up? And if we do, how long could it last here uh, across the country? Yeah, so we are going to see a meaningful warm-up warm up for sure here as we go through this week. Um, we're already going to see temperatures across portions of the upper Midwest, northern plains get above normal today. And then through the rest of this week, a lot of those above normal temperatures will expand into much of the eastern U.S. Uh, we're talking about temperature anomalies approaching 10, even 20 degrees above normal for portions of uh, the northern plains, upper Midwest, even into the Great Lakes area as well here this week. I saw a headline over the weekend uh, from a, a different news outlet that was kind of saying to the effect of temperatures are going to get warm and some of those anomalies are going to get warm enough that it's going to feel like March in some parts of the country. Would you agree that that's uh, close to the case, what we're going to see with temperatures here this week? Oh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, especially here in like the Northern Plains, Upper Midwest, they could even see temperatures rise up into the lower 40s, which would definitely make it feel like spring, even though we're at the end of January. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wonder, too, speaking of, you know, we're towards the end of January, how long could this weather pattern last? Are we going to see these warmer temperatures or at least normal temperatures for the next couple of weeks. Uh, what are you seeing uh, longer range here in terms of temperatures right now, Teresa? Yeah, so longer range here, we're still seeing this, you know, favor for above normal temperatures lasting into February, especially for the northern half of the country. Um, even as we go into uh, the rest of this spring, you know, March, April, still that uh, leaning towards the above normal temperatures for portions of the northern plains, central plains, upper Midwest, and even the Great Lakes. Well, let's talk precipitation here, Teresa, and I know that's a, a big thing we're keeping an eye on, too. We've seen a lot of snow, a lot of cold, a lot of ice here across the country in the last couple of weeks, and I know early here this week, watching uh, the potential for ice really stretching uh from Texas to Illinois, but kind of zeroed in early of the week here on Missouri and Arkansas, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Yep. So we've already got ongoing freezing rain across parts of Missouri and Arkansas, even into Illinois this morning. Um, 
I would not be surprised to see anywhere between a tenth to a quarter inch of ice accumulate across parts of northern Arkansas and southern Missouri here today and into early Tuesday. So that's definitely going to be a risk for them there. Now, watching some of this potential here and, and all the snow that we've seen and, and the ice, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and even some of this heavier rain on the southern end of this early week system here, I have to think, Teresa, that overall all of this is going to help out with some of the drought issues across parts of the country, will it? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're definitely going to see um, the south central U.S., you know, the southern plains, even into the southern delta. So states like Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, they'll see pockets of heavy rain throughout this week. Um, I was just looking at some models here. They could see up to three to six inches of rain here by Friday across parts of these southern states. And they are still dealing with areas of extreme and exceptional drought there. So these will definitely, these consistent rainfalls will help with that for sure this week. Oh, and I know uh, water levels on the Mississippi River over the last couple of weeks have uh, risen back up here. And so helping uh, with some of those uh, water levels for shipping and more here as we go into spring, uh, definitely beneficial. We're talking with Teresa Wells, DTN meteorologist here today on AOA. Teresa, let's shift down to South America and take a look at what's happening, especially in Brazil and Argentina. I know in terms of Brazil... We didn't see a whole lot of rain last week. It was kind of scattered and choppy, it looked like. Here this week, though, it sounds like the forecast is calling for some better rains, but that could maybe slow down some soybean harvest potentially. So uh, talk to me about what you're seeing in terms of that forecast here for this week in Brazil. Yeah, so you know we head into like central Brazil there. Um, they they will see those better chances for more scattered rain showers here this week. So they that already started this past weekend here. It'll continue through at least Thursday, maybe even into Friday there. Um, and and yeah, that is going to be a concern as they start to expand on that harvest for some of those soybeans, and that might slow them down there. But for the for the soybeans that are still trying to mature down there in central Brazil, this these rainfalls will certainly help their situation. Um, but if we go down into like southern Brazil, uh, they're going to start to get a little bit drier here this week. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen them on the drier side even uh, last week too. So. Um, we're going to start to get a little bit concerned about conditions down there, especially if those temperatures start to climb for states such as the Rio Grande do Sul. And I know, too, that if we do start to see some delayed harvest of soybeans or other issues, I mean, we got a Safrina corn crop, that second corn crop to start planting here. This is kind of when that window starts to open up here into February. Uh, so I'd have to think that's something that a lot of forecasters are going to be watching closely as well as if there are any delays to Safrita corn planting right now, Teresa. Yeah, that is definitely also something to keep an eye on here. Um, for those that are trying to get in, you know, maybe start some of that Safrita corn planting this week. It's going to be wet for them. Um, but, you know, if we can get things to dry out by next week a little bit, um, that that increased soil moisture will certainly help as they start to get some of those seeds in the ground. 
How about Argentina? I know a lot of Argentine farmers have been smiling. They've had pretty good weather conditions here coming off of a couple of years of drought. Any updates uh, for the forecast for Argentina this week? Yeah. So, you know, like you mentioned, Argentina, they've been sitting really well here, um, especially over the past few weeks. But this week, things are going to change a little bit for them. We're going to continue to see dry conditions. I, I really don't see much in the way of chances for precipitation for them even going through this weekend. So they're going to be dry. And then with those high temperatures consistently approaching 85 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit through this week, there is going to be that concern for some of that soil moisture to start uh, depleting here as we go through the end of the week. Well, good thoughts. And of course, we'll continue to keep our eyes on the weather here as we move through the end of January and into February. Teresa Wells, DTN meteorologist. Teresa, thanks for joining us here this week on AOA. Appreciate the time. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Jesse. And again, uh, great stuff there with Teresa Wells, DTN meteorologist, joining us here today on AOA. Going to be keeping our eyes closely on uh, what is happening with the weather, of course, here in the U.S. and South America moving forward. As we mentioned, uh, seeing some of that ice freezing rain potential here, uh, Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, early in the week. And that's something that's going to make uh, things a little tricky for some folks in those portions of the country uh, i want to mention this as well real quick before we get to our break the uh, beige book the january 2024 beige book from the fed has been released it's a summary of its commentary on the current economic conditions in each federal reserve district and in the sixth district around atlanta low cattle supply led to higher cattle prices but consumers are substituting less expensive proteins and preventing full pass-through of prices in the 8th District near St. Louis, ongoing drought continues to affect livestock and crop conditions. The 9th District of Minneapolis shows conditions unchanged, while most say farm incomes dropped substantially from last year. And in Kansas City's 10th District, profits narrowed during the past year as commodity prices moderated, particularly in areas hit by drought. Drought conditions continue to recede in the 11th District of Dallas as soil moisture improves and crop production prospects look better in 2024. And conditions in San Francisco's 12th District were solid in agriculture and resource-related sectors with robust yields and inventories of various products. Again, that is some of the commentary from the Fed's January 2024 beige book on the ag economy we're going to talk more about the ag economy ag lending etc with a 2024 outlook from ag america kurt covington with ag america joins us next here on aoa agriculture of america Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. 
National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Now, there's nothing bullish about the grain and oilseed fundamentals coming from January 12th USDA set of reports. Fundamentally, something needs to change the narrative. Brazil's harvest is ahead of the normal pace, but so is the pace of planting the winter corn crop, although we're still at less than 10% for both. We are seeing some increased demand at these price levels, however, with end users also worried about what a short covering rally could do to their costs. Brazilian beans are still $2 per bushel cheaper than being shipped to China for February through April loadings. We still have 2 plus billion bushels of surplus corn and a lot of hard red winter wheat as well. Now, wheat futures, they were lower overnight, trading on signs of wheat demand for U.S. supplies and favorable weather in some growing areas. Exports of U.S. wheat since the start of the grains marketing year on June 1st now stand at about 10.2 million metric tons. That is down 9% from the same time frame last year. Still, though, commitments from overseas buyers to purchase U.S. wheat are up 3% year over year. Sales in the week that ended on January 11th were reported at 707,600 metric tons. That's up noticeably from both the previous week and the prior four-week average. Last week's solid sales report, however, did little to excite investors over the weekend. While favorable weather in the U.S. southern plains may have something to do with that, as much as six times the normal amount of precipitation has fallen in the U.S. southern plains in the past two weeks. Neither counties in southwestern Kansas nor much of the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles are suffering from drought conditions at this point. And hedge funds and other large investment companies have raised their net short positions on hard red winter futures to 38,122 contracts. That's from 33,945 a week earlier. The VIX is trading near 13 to start this week, while the dollar index is slightly lower and crude oil prices, they are over 1% higher on some geopolitical risk, but they're still trading in that $70 to $75 range. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargardt disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, joining us now for a conversation talking about a new report, a 2024 outlook for American agriculture, and just having a, a wide ranging discussion about this ag economy and more. 
Kurt Covington with Ag America joins us here today on the program. Kurt, it's always good to talk with you, sir, and I hope all is well. It is. Good to see you again, Jesse. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you also. And uh, a new year means new outlooks for the year ahead. And, uh, you know, Kurt, looking at this overall ag economy as a whole, I know there was a there's been plenty of optimism out there, but also maybe some caution as we enter 2024. Uh, set this up for us. I know a new report out from Ag America, but let's just take a, a thousand foot view here. What's your perspective of where things stand beginning a new year? Uh, well, I think it's going to be a year of tightening the belt. Uh, if you take a look at top line revenue, almost any commodity across the United States whether that be the Midwest and grain crops or whether it be the dairy sector, whether it be the fruit and nut sector, I think there's going to be, um, uh, you know, certainly a, as typically described margin compression, revenues are off input costs while they're down. Jesse are not down at the same rate and pace that revenue has declined. So all that means for the U S farmer is very simple that uh, there's going to have to be some uh, belt tightening and some decisions made about what you need to have in 2024 versus what you'd like to have in 2024. Well, I know a couple different factors that uh, you and the Ag America team point to in terms of the overall ag economy and farmland uh, outlooks as well. And all this is kind of roped into one. You you alluded to it, though, looking at uh, net farm income and, and some of the differences we could see there this year. And couple that with things like cash rents, interest rates, all of this kind of combines into one giant ball to your point of uh, we're going to probably have to see some belt tightening here this year. Yeah, I think, uh, look, I think there's probably three, maybe four big items in that farmer's uh, income statement, obviously. Forget the revenue, the farmer really has very little control over his revenue to any extent, right? They're price takers. But you look at fertilizer costs, chemical costs, uh, pesticide costs, you look at labor costs, and then you look at interest costs. And you say, okay, any oil-based costs seems to have been moderating a bit, um, which is obviously good news. What we haven't seen is moderation of labor costs. In fact, in certain parts of the country, minimum wage continues to go up. And so that's a cost, again, that for the most part is a little bit out of the control of the, of the farmer. And then obviously interest costs. I think there's some good news on the horizon there. Um, I think we could see potentially some rate cuts in 2024, but in the end, interest went up two, three times for some of these borrowers over the last 18 months. So any relief they can get there will be helpful. Kurt, thinking about uh, cash on hand for a lot of growers, I know we had a few good years here of good commodity prices. A lot of farmers and ranchers were able to take advantage of that. But now I think some tough conversations maybe here with bankers as they start to, uh, you know, they've burned through some of those cash reserves. Is that some of what you've been hearing here, Kurt? Yeah, so I think they've not only burned through some cash reserves, but, you know, um, you know, farmers hate to have money in their pocket. A couple of reasons is it sits in their pocket. It's not earning them money. So there has been, uh, particularly throughout the Midwest, a lot of opportunities for farmers who did have cash and maybe still do to make some land acquisitions. Uh, and we continue to see that. I think that's keeping land prices 
somewhat higher than I would expect that, that they would have been. But the other side of this is with input costs continuing to stay high, margins declining, you can quickly burn through that working capital position. And those discussions are being had right now between borrowers and their uh, operating lenders. What would you say to borrowers as they're having some of these discussions with their operating lenders? I know you and I have talked about this before, but I think it'd be a good refresher. What do they need to keep in mind? What do they need to have ready to be prepared for these conversations? Talk about that a little bit, Kurt. And that's like one of the greatest questions ever, right? It's easy to say, <laughs> no, really, right? It's easy to say, well, you know, I got I got to go see my banker today, and but uh, and you know, my banker is going to want this, and my banker is going to want that. Ultimately, here's what I say: is number one, be prepared. All right, go in knowing exactly what it is you want for your farming operation. What size of a line of credit? what needs you'll have, whether those needs increase or whether those needs decrease. So in order to come prepared and to be able to communicate what you want, the first thing you absolutely have to have is a well thought out budget. And in my opinion, it needs to be a month to month budget, not an annual budget, but a month to month budget that lays out potential cash resources and then obviously, you know, cash expenses, right? And so that gives the banker a really good idea of not only how much you need, but where the money's going to go. The other thing I would say is make sure that you have your other financial records uh, in place and that they're as accurate as you can possibly make them. That meaning your balance sheet or your financial statement is accurate. It accurately reflects your inventory that you have on hand at current market prices or, or you know, whatever contracted price you might have, and that, that your land and the market value of that land is represented fairly. And then finally, any other uh, extraneous information like tax returns, uh, crop records, crop insurance records, come prepared. There's nothing worse for an ag lender, and I'm gonna say this having been one for 45 years, but also been a farmer and a borrower. The more you dribble information into your banker and dribble it in over time, the less confidence that banker has in your operation. And it's more likely that you're not going to get the money you need on time. Kurt, I think as well, great points. And I think that applies across the board. I want to make, you know, that distinction too, not only for, you know, young farmers or farmers who have uh, only been in the game for a few years, but also, you know, longstanding farmers who have those long-term relationships with their banker. It doesn't matter it, it, everyone needs to be prepared, right? Yes. And so here's what I would tell you. Probably the most important thing you can do with your banker as a, as a borrower is to communicate with them and communicate with them honestly and communicate with them regularly. Bankers have a broad view of the industry they serve, whether that's the grain markets, the nut markets out in California, the, they have a broad view of it. Coming in with information that maybe doesn't reflect what's actually happening in the market, thinking thinking that if you know I actually show that I'm not going to have the same kind of profitability I've had in the past, or that I may actually have a, a potential cash deficit in the end of the year, that that banker is just simply going to take your loan, throw it in the trash can, and say, "Let's move on." That's not how it works. They're, most ag lenders are very pragmatic. They understand the cycles. 
what they expect from their borrower is, is clear communication and how they're going to manage their costs to get through those down cycles. That's what they're looking for. Kurt, are you concerned at all as well? I know the ag economy has been fairly insulated from the broader economy here in the U.S. for many years and typically always is, but are you concerned at all about any issues in the broader economy filtering into the ag economy? Because, again, overall, the health of the ag economy has been pretty good here as of late. Yeah, you know, there's, there's <laughs> this is another great question, right? So uh, uh, some of the things that I see in the broader economy that, that concern me a bit, I look at commercial lending and particularly commercial real estate lending out in the marketplace today where you have a number of these uh, short-term bullet loans that are coming due in the commercial space, I think could have a contagion effect to what happens um, uh, in the agricultural space. The other thing is, and and it, it, this is, farmers are not immune to this. I think there is an exploding amount of credit card debt that is it, it eventually uh, is that we've been sweeping under the carpet for an, a long period of time. That's gonna. Uh, the roosters are gonna come home to roost on this. I mean, there's just no question. And so those things tend to impact the broader economy, the consumers, who in turn, uh, the impact at the consumption at the consumer level impacts what happens at the farm level. Well, I appreciate the perspective on that. I would agree with you. Uh, credit card debt is one area that really concerns me, and I think concerns a lot of folks in the industry right now. Uh, Kurt, I know just to kind of wrap things up here, Ag America, you guys have a lot of great uh, folks on your team, a lot of great products and things like that available to help farmers with their financing and more. And I'm sure a great place to start, agamerica.com for a conversation, right, Kurt? That's correct. Exactly. Jesse, thank you for that. Yeah, go to agamerica.com for more. Kurt, as we wrap it up real quick, anything final you would add or reiterate to folks as they're looking at uh, their farm finances right now? No, I would just say, uh, look, farmers are the most resilient group of business people at, collectively that you'll ever do business with, right? They've gone through these cycles dating, at least in, to my banking career, dating back to the 1970s. And then my our family went through a number of cycles in farming. Ultimately, they are great stewards of their assets. But overall, they also understand that the consequence of all this is uh, ensuring that the existence of the family farm and also the perpetuation of the family farm. So it's just a, it to me, 2024 is going to be defined by how well these farmers manage through this difficult cycle and, and can the care, to carry on the business in, into 2025 and beyond. Great thoughts. Always enjoy a conversation. Kurt Covington with Ag America. Kurt, thanks for joining us today, and we'll look forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Jesse. And once again, Kurt Covington there with Ag America joining us today on AOA. Coming up next, we'll take a look at news headlines and wrap things up on the way right after this. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. 
Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take a one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Ugh. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts in farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention? On Friday, February 2nd, stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. 
Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Well, politics and infrastructure, not just here in the U.S., but around the globe, can make a difference in the prices you see for fertilizer. Let's take a look at news headlines here before we wrap up today's program. And Corey Rosenbush, the president and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, says the good news for farmers in 2024 is that fertilizer won't make as much of a dent in your wallet as it did the past few years. I think they won't see things quite as crazy as they've been the last two years. We've come off of a, a real interesting, volatile market. And uh, some of those uh, extreme prices over the last two years have really started to come down. And that, and that actually started in uh, early 2023. We saw the market start to settle a bit. Thankfully, for most ag retailers, that was not a crash landing. It was a bit of a soft landing. But it, what it did is it created this mentality to really draw down inventory to almost zero. And so as we went into summer fill and as we're getting ready for the fall and spring, people are starting to you know, rebuild that inventory again. And so it's being done so on that price reset. Well, Rosenbush says there are multiple factors at play in 2024 that will impact the supply and transportation of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. I think everyone thinks about pre-2019, so we're not going back to pre-2019. I think it's probably appropriate to say that we're, we're headed into a more normal market period, but at the same time, if you look at grain stock-to-use ratio on a global scale, driven by a lot of factors, including you know the continued war in Ukraine, there's going to be high demand. So we are expecting for strong demand to continue both in the fall. I mean, I've talked to some fertilizer companies that said they've had one of their best fall applications they've ever had. And I think that will continue in the spring. So with strong demand, that means prices will continue to be strong, but they're not going to be crazy. One of the key things that the Fertilizer Institute is looking for in the farm bill is tools to help with market volatility. The U.S. imports 93% of its potash, and the fertilizer industry wants to strengthen domestic supply so it's not relying so much on imports. How can we strengthen domestic supply? And that doesn't necessarily exclude imports because that would include some tools for imports too. But phosphate and potash are, are minerals that are in the earth. And so it's, it's kind of where God put them. And we don't have the same abundance that other countries do. However, we're also not getting access to those minerals that we do have, largely because of permitting issues. So we've asked um, to be included in the Farm Bill designation of potash 
and phosphate as a critical mineral. And what that'll do is uh, help a company better mine and process those minerals for farmers to use. And again, that's Corey Rosenbush with the Fertilizer Institute. While the National Corn Growers Association deeply disappointed in a decision from the International Trade Commission, the ITC upheld an earlier opinion finding material injury to U.S. fertilizer companies during a time of rising on-farm fertilizer prices that went on to reach record highs. The decision came after the U.S. Court of International Trade asked the Commerce Department and ITC to reconsider decisions they issued on the matter. Now, according to NCGA President Harold Woolley, quote, the idea that major fertilizer conglomerates were materially injured even as they were posting substantially higher profits during the time in question sounds dubious to me. The decision ignores the request from the Court of International Trade and the negative impacts these tariffs continue to have on America's farmers who are facing higher prices for the fertilizers critical to the success of their crops. We will continue to make a vigorous case for eliminating or lowering these tariffs, end quote. Also, one other fertilizer-related story, Farm Action and the American Economic Liberties Project, joined by 16 other organizations, have sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice calling on the agencies to investigate and, quote, if evidence warrants to take action against, end quote, Coke Industries' planned acquisition of OCI Global's Iowa Fertilizer Company, known as IFCO. The letter noted that the vast local, state, and federal investment into IFCO in anticipation of its ability to lower costs for farmers, create jobs for the community, is set to challenge the market dominance of the very corporation now acquiring it. The letter said, quote, should the acquisition be allowed to proceed, taxpayers will have effectively subsidized the expansion of Coke's control over a critical and heavily concentrated sector of our agricultural economy, end quote. Now, the letter articulated the agency's interest in this deal, citing language from the recently updated merger guidelines pertaining to mergers that increase concentration in highly concentrated sectors and that entrench dominant market positions. The letter went on to say, quote, fertilizer is one of the most highly consolidated sectors in American agriculture, with the top four firms collectively controlling 75 percent of fertilizer markets. Coke Industries is, in fact, one of these four fertilizer firms, in addition to being one of the largest privately held companies in the country, end quote. Now, emphasizing the stakes of the investigation, the letter says that, quote, to safeguard our economy and indeed our democracy, our enforcers must prevent dominant firms from capitalizing on investments made with public resources, end quote. Again, Farm Action and the American Economic Liberties Project, joined by 16 other organizations calling on the Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice to investigate Coke Industries' planned acquisition of OCI Global's Iowa Fertilizer Company. Well, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced a pilot program late last week to allow more cattle producers and meat processors to access better markets through USDA's official beef quality grading and certification. The remote grading pilot for beef developed by the AMS matches simple technology with robust data management and program oversight to allow a USDA grader to assess beef carcass characteristics and assign the official quality grade from a remote location, reducing costs and location as barriers to participation in the voluntary grading service. Vilsack says, quote, on average, a beef carcass that grades as USDA prime is valued at hundreds of dollars more than an ungraded one. But the cost for this voluntary USDA service often prevents smaller-scale processors and the farmers and ranchers they serve from using this valuable marketing tool, end quote. Now, consumers and buyers and sellers of beef rely on USDA quality grades, including prime, choice, and select, to indicate quality. 
Now, groups such as the NCBA and U.S. Cattlemen's Association have welcomed the news of this pilot program from USDA. According to NCBA Vice President of Government Affairs Ethan Lane, he says, quote, NCBA is glad that USDA is launching this remote grading pilot program and expanding opportunities for meat grading to occur in smaller local processing facilities. This will increase marketing opportunities for cattle producers and help them capture more value from their product, end quote. U.S. Cattlemen's Association Independent Beef Processing Chairman Patrick Robinette said, quote, before today's announcement, it was simply unaffordable for an independent producer or processor to participate in providing quality graded beef to the marketplace, end quote. Well, that is a look at the latest news of agriculture. We're out of time here on AOA. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk through the latest cattle on feed report with Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. We'll also talk dairy with Corey Geiger from CoBank. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 